Hello you lovely lot and welcome back to the Independent Spouse Podcast. Today I am talking to the wonderful Wendy from Not Just a Wife. If you look beyond what you believe or what you perceive to be a wife of a serving person or spouse of a serving person is, then you will find incredibly talented, amazing, intelligent women and men. Wendy is a woman after my own heart and is on a mission to show the world just how capable and talented military spouses are. Her exhibition, Not Just a Wife, aims to challenge the larger defence community in what they believe a military wife can achieve, and it's had some great reviews. Wendy comes from an experienced military background and the interview that follows is packed full of passionate insight into her military world. We talk about her fantastic exhibition, the importance of the military patch and why the spouse is the glue that holds the armed forces community together. Thank you to Wendy for sharing your story. You're working so hard to help those non-serving members of our community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Wendy, thank you so much for joining me today. You're very welcome. It's good to be here. Oh, it's going to be great. Now, I know a lot of people would have heard of Not Just a Wife and have seen your photography, but for those who might have missed it, please could you tell me about it and why you believe it's so important? Not Just a Wife actually came out of my 50th birthday. When I hit 50, I was looking back at my life and I'd been to recently to um, a dinner night or something and someone asked me what I did and we'd just moved down and I'd, I'd had a brilliant job up in um, in Falling Bostel and Hona um, with the 7th Armoured Brigade of the Desert Rats and uh, it was a full-on job and we came down, we moved down to Paderborn and I didn't have a job, all the children were away at boarding school And it was that sort of empty nest thing. And I just thought, oh, my goodness. And this person asked me, what did I do? And I just said, well, I'm just a wife. And and I got home and and I was so disappointed with myself. I just thought, oh, my goodness, that's so not true. And then I just started asking people, going around and and asking some of my friends. I said, so what do you do? And they, they would define themselves with what they were doing at that time. And I said, no, no. What, what did you do? What, what do you do? And so that's when I met Kelly, who, who you, I used to chat at the cinema all the time because I would go there all the time because I love the cinema. And um, she was a criminologist. And then I just thought, oh my goodness. And so I just went around and started asking people. And I thought, I'm going to show that we are not just a wife. And um, Sarah Stone, um, who's a great friend, who I knew up in Falling Bostel, and I was chatting to her about the project. I said, oh, I've had this amazing idea. And I have lots of ideas. I'm an ideas person. And she said, oh, you've got to do it. And then she was doing some work with the Royal United Service Institute and brought a researcher over. And Sarah said, tell Gabby about your project. So I did. And Gabby said, no, we've got to get it to Rusi. And I said, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> and left it at that. And then I found myself... Um, with about three weeks to go or to, to move house back from Germany after 16 years in Germany to back to the UK to then put on an exhibition three weeks later 
of 50 wives um and and i was just well 50 spouses so it's although it's called not just a wife there's 50 spouses and uh yeah so that's that's how that part came about and the second part of the question which is why it's so important i think it's important because when we move around we get identified by um who our serving person is um and it's easy to get sucked into that and it's easy to forget who you are as an individual and there are some people i know who who um choose to to not have that definition and very very strong people but even then i think every so often they come across that identification through your serving person and um, and I just want to try and stop that. I want people to know that we are individuals, that actually, if you look beyond what you believe or what you perceive to be a wife of a serving person or spouse of a serving person is, then you will find incredibly talented, amazing, intelligent women and men. And that's what your exhibition has showcased. You took, is it 50 photos of um, military partners? Is that right? Yes, I, I took 50 um, spouses because that was um, my birthday. That was the reason for having 50. And it wasn't a selection. It was the first 50 who volunteered because I had four or five weeks to pull it together. Then Yes, yeah, so some purists say that it's not a photographic exhibition because the words go alongside it. So after interviewing everybody, I, I took the interviews down to 250 words and then those 250 words down to a caption so that people could get round everybody. They didn't have to stand and just read all of it. And, um, and so a lot of the story hasn't been told. Um, it's, it's just the captions that people have read. But in that caption, um, alongside the photograph, I think you get a really good idea of how incredible that individual is and how positive they are. I mean, that's what surprised me because when they said, yes, we want to do this exhibition, and I was saying, yeah, great. And then I thought, what if they're all negative? What if they say, no, I hate the army. I'm going to have to keep looking and looking for people <laughs> to say something positive. But it's like any story. It, it, you know, it starts off quite high, then you have a drop, and then, then, then it comes back up again when you realise that actually all the opportunities that you can get from this lifestyle once you see it as an opportunity. And that's really interesting that you went to sort of talk to them and not just take their photographs because I think there is so much more to military life than the labels and what people think of them. Were there any in particular that surprised you? Yes, there were. And, and I'm so glad I didn't video the interviews because you would have seen my face just drop and, and there were tears and there were laughter because with some of them, so for example, Pam is a really, really good friend and she had a really difficult tour when her husband deployed, she was pregnant and, um, and, and the pregnancy was making her feel quite poorly. And so there were lots of incidences where it was just all of us getting together. You do it. That's what you do in a, in a military community. And, and so we, yeah, we, we cried in, in that interview. And there's another lady, Katie, who I had seen, well, she, her husband worked with my husband and, um, so I knew Katie and she was a teaching assistant in the school. So I was chatting to her 
and I honestly, my face just kept dropping. I said to her, you know, what do you do? And she is a forensic scientist and was a semi-professional dancer. And while she was up working in this um, lab in Scotland, she used to take part in professional shows. And, um, and then it transpired she was one of the first on the scene at Dunblane as a forensic scientist. And I was just blown away. And then there was Sophie, who got so low when she was um, on a tour in Cyprus that she wanted to take her own life, but now has the most amazing, incredible business because she drew strength from other people around her and, and the community supported her. So what started off as making clothes for her own children, people said, well, can you make for me? Can you make for me? And she realised she could turn it into business. And now she's got this incredible business, has been up for awards and everything else. Oh, and there was a um, Christy who... So when I was doing the project, I, I studied psychology not so long ago, just to keep something, keep my brain ticking over. And I knew that when you do um, surveys or you're doing an, ex, not an ex, experiment, whatever else, psychology experiments, you have to do that qualitative and quantitative data and all that sort of thing. And I just started to think about the project. And I thought, actually, the critics could turn around and say, like attracts like. You're an outgoing person. You do these sorts of things. So you're going to attract people who go out and are self-starters and do their own business and will make things happen. And so I got in touch with someone that I knew in Falling Bostel and, uh, and she lived just down the road in Lynham. And I asked her and I said, look, any chance you get sort of 10 people that you know uh, together and I'll come down and I'll, I'll have a chat with them and see. And, and that was just sort of blown away as well because they were all of that same ilk. There was a lady who had been a, a lead in Oxfam at national level couldn't get a job as a volunteer in an Oxfam shop because she didn't have enough experience. And then there was Christy, who was only 19 or 20 and had never left home, got married. And she was very proud of the fact that she had got on a bus recently from Lyonham to Carston or something like that, which is, I don't know, it's, it's not far, it's about five, ten miles. But she'd lived in a house, uh, in a flat on her own for a year and not spoken to anybody because her husband had gone away and she said her quote to me was um I just felt that if I died nobody would know but she is now she was scooped up by these ladies she is now working at the um Rimi Museum and is is enjoying that finding that independence and that that life that um that the rest of us have discovered. And it's a bit of a real, sad reality. I found this, the more, the more I interview people for this podcast series, is um, that you're right, everybody has a story and it does dip in the middle. And I too have been that person that has sat through a deployment. Um, I think the army might call them tours. Um, you know, and on my own for nine weeks and I only ever left the house once in that week to talk to the women in Sainsbury's, which is just honestly and terrible and I'm disappointed that I wasted all that time but also just very sad for myself but to know that that there is the light at the end of the tunnel and um, that actually the community of military life and on the patch is so important to that and um, yes sometimes it can be bad but the majority of the time it can be really good 
you have spoken before about the glue that holds it all together. You call the spouse the glue that holds the military family together. But you think that the patch and the glue is really important. So could you explain a little bit more about that? The patch is so that's that's the that's the sort of colloquial term for all the military housing that is almost in an estate for want of a better description and it's full of military people and it is absolutely vital absolutely vital for anybody who makes decisions i think if you're a civilian on the outside looking at it you don't have a patch of people who work for Shell or a patch of people who work in the police force or a patch of people who work for the same company. And so it's just sort of, why should it be like that if you're in the military? What, I, there's no need, you know, can't you survive on your own in a house, on your own somewhere else? And it was one of the questions that I asked people. So I only asked three questions. And one was, what did you do before you were... Um, were married um, what were your hopes and aspirations when you were 18 when you were leaving school but one of the one of the main questions was is community important to you and every single one said yes and the reason being is that I think decisions about the housing and about the patch are being made in a peacetime environment if you want to see the value of community the value of being able to walk around to your neighbour, knock on the door, burst into tears and say, I know we've never met, but my husband deployed yesterday. And the person just opening the door and saying, oh my goodness, come in, have a cup of tea. Um, and even if it's not your next door neighbor, someone down the road, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. That, that's the whole point. Um, when I was in Austinbrook and I just had baby number four and my husband deployed, it was only on an exercise to um, Oman, and we just moved into the quarter and, and uh, my number four was very, very ill. Um, she was seriously ill when she was 11 weeks old. She was put into a coma because her lungs weren't coping. And so we moved to Germany and she was falling ill again. And it was three o'clock in the morning. We had been in our house two days. So surrounded by boxes, all of that sort of thing. And my eldest was five. So um, I had five, four, two, and a, or one and a half, and a baby. And, and I just thought, I don't know what to do, because I don't know anybody here. I do know that most people that I know have got children on the patch. Their husbands have gone away as well. Um, and there was only one couple that I knew where the husband was behind, um, was still in Germany. And, um, and so I just knocked on their door at three o'clock in the morning, hammered on their door at three o'clock in the morning. And I said, I know we've never met, but I, I really need to take my daughter to hospital. Can you, can one of you go and sit in my house with my other three and I'll get back as soon as I can? And they said, absolutely not a problem. These are people I had never met before in my life. I'm asking them to go into my home to look after three of the precious things in my life and while I go and take one to hospital. Can you do that? Could anybody else, I challenge anybody to be able to do that on any other estate. And that is the value. That is what we have. And okay, so we may not take advantage of it during peacetime and everyday sort of thing, but we can keep going and we stay positive because we know it's there. We know that it doesn't matter. And, and people can just do that because you know who you've got. And I know that a lot of people have found it quite isolating on these new patches where, 
you've only got two or five houses and you know where they are, but because of G, um, you know that there are people on the estate, but because of GDPR, no one can tell you where they are. So you can't even make that contact and you're not going to go and knock on someone's door and say military because you don't know people's politics. And that's where the stress starts to build in. I think some people obviously, you know, it's not for everybody. And I absolutely get that. But what I'm saying is that actually don't take it away because a couple of people have said, actually, no, I've gone to buy my own house. Because I think that, and I've said this to all the people who will listen at sort of grown up level, is that you naturally get to a point where you want to buy your own house. I'm getting there now. After 20 years of, of moving around and being married, uh, I my children are about to leave home. I want to have a home for them to come back to. So when they go to university, um, they know that they can come back to a house, but that doesn't mean to say I don't want to stop moving around. Um, and, and it's really important that we acknowledge that, that the system has to still allow for that community to thrive. Yeah. And not focus on the majority. I know for somebody that is married to somebody who's particularly operational, that he has probably been more busy since the end of Afghanistan doing operations and crisis response and um, all the things that go hand in hand with being on on an operational airbase. And just because policymakers decide that it's peacetime and like you say, a few people are settling down, it doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't a lot of us that are constantly going through deployments and tours and operations on gosh a monthly basis and also on the flip side of it I chose to follow my partner and give up my career I mean I chose is a, is a loose term and we have just we have chosen this life and he has signed up until he's 60 therefore if that's the commitment that we are willing to give um, it would be really nice if the people that are making these decisions could realize this and to help us along the way and to realize that we are committed and they could commit to that too and give me the security of the patch so that I know that in five years time I will still have somewhere to live and the life that I have chosen and that we can still keep moving every few years for his job um, and he can keep doing it it's really important but it's one of the stability core stability elements of the military package that we knowing that there is a house to go to means that actually yes okay I'll move and I'll go and you know so the state of some of the houses is shocking absolutely shocking and sometimes I think you know if I if I brought a council house inspector in would they pass it or not but bizarrely because of the goodwill and because of the commitment that we have as spouses to, in, in, in many ways, serve our country, it is really, really important to understand and to value that selfless commitment that the spouses have as well. So, you know, they, the army talk about their values and standards, the selfless commitment, the trust, all of these things. But all of these come through the spouses as well. And, um, and we don't mind moving into a small house. I mean, when people, when civilians move, they choose their house. They, they choose it because they know their furniture will fit in or they, they like it because of the area or it's got a beautiful garden and all that sort of thing. You drive up with your lorry and you say, okay, so I know that's coming off the van first. Where can I put that so I can get the rest of it in? 
and and it's almost like doing a massive Tetris game every time with all your furniture and and then when you have children trying to persuade your children that this is going to be the best time ever <laughs> and and go out there now your serving partner goes oh I start work today so I'm just going to pop into the office and talk to lots of people who are like-minded and they're going to show me around and they're going to tell me all the really good things to do around here and they've got that stability whereas for the for the spouse it's that okay, so now I've got to either, you know, um, unpack the house, um, get the children in, settled into a school or sort, or, or find a job or all of the above, a combination or all of the above. And that takes its toll because sometimes I think when you move, you just think, oh, you get into that, well, I don't know if we're going to be here for a year, we're going to be for 18 months. Are we going to move? Is there any point unpacking this bit? And that sort of thing. But what I would say is that although we maybe think that you sit down, you have a cup of tea and go, right, that's it. I'm doing this. I'm going to unpack this house in two days. We're going to be settled in. I'm going to go out and look for a job or I'm going to go out and meet people. You go and knock on your next door neighbor's door and say, hi, I've just moved in. Invariably they go, come in, have a cup of tea. How are you? Do you need anything? And, and you, you make it happen. And what I want employers to see is don't say, oh, you're only going to be here for two years. This person has just moved into a house and settled in, in, let's say a week, um, week, two weeks. And you're telling me they can't go into a job and say, right, okay, I'm going to do this because I know I'll only be here for two years or potentially only here for two years. Um, So I'm going to make this work right from the start. We're not afraid of asking questions. We're not afraid of emptying the bin. We don't go by the job spec. We want to work. We want to do this. And so actually, if you get a military spouse in, you are going to get one of the best people ever because they will put their hand to anything because they're used to doing that. Ultimately, what I would love to be able to do, people have asked me, you know, what do I ultimately want to happen from not just a wife? And one of the things is that I could put on the top is I'm an army wife, a military spouse. And from that, they would know straight away that I can turn my hand to anything. I can meet people. I've got communication skills. I'm not frightened to um, take on something new, to, to take on a new challenge. And, um, and you can ask me to do anything. And within reason, legal reason, <laughs> I, will, um, I will do that because that's what we do. I've always said this because there's a lot of my friends, my civilian friends, who have always admired the armed forces, quite rightly. Um, But I always say to them, if you think that my partner is amazing, you should see what I am capable of doing. Um, Because... I've learned so much from this life, from, from things like, you know, the wheel falls off the car, which is a classic deployment curse. And then the washing machine breaks and all these things happen. And I've learned so many practical things, let alone the ability to, you know, move house at the drop of a hat. Which brings me to the question, you were serving, you were in the army. Before you became a spouse, what was your view of us? I was quite scared of them, actually, I have to say. So I joined... I joined quite late. So I was 26 when I went to my first regiment and, and I was number four into uh, female officers into the, into the Royal Artillery. So it was all quite new and all quite challenging. And I'd had all my warnings from various people, you know, you have to be whiter than white and, and all that sort of thing. And, um, 
And I remember, so I, I got to the unit in the September and then in the December, coming up for the Christmas parties, and the CEO's wife came up to me and invited me to join the wives to do flower arranging. And I turned around and I said, I'd be delighted to. I presume you're asking all the officers to do that. I was never asked again. And then I was, I, I think because I had been, my father was in the army and so my mother had obviously was a military spouse. So I was very aware of the wives network and very aware that I was a, a bit of a novelty and they weren't sure what was what was happening. And there's, there was this female deploying for on exercises, sleeping by the side of a Land Rover or by a gun or whatever. And I just thought, oh my goodness, the last thing on my mind and nothing on any serving person's mind is anything other than the job. And it's really difficult to get that across. But um, I, don't, I don't know how it happened or, or whatever, but I, I was then invited by some of the wives of my troop to a um, sort of like a magic mic. I, don't, I can't even think of what they're called now. You know, sort of one of these wives club events where there were strippers. And I was terrified, so terrified that I actually, when the um, orderly sergeant came round, the duty sergeant came round, I said, get me out of here. <laughs> I was so terrified. But do you know what? They were so lovely and they were so kind to me. And and they just got it. That I think because I, I went to talk to them and be, be with them when we had troop functions and things like that. But because my mum was a spouse, I absolutely got it that it's it's not easy and I also understood what some of the spouses thought about some of the female soldiers and officers I mean this is you know ages ago now um so when my husband is deployed I've got our the spouses together and said come on we just need to stick together I'm not interested in any rank or anything else um and then of course my husband come back and he would say well who's Julie and I said well I don't know just Julie um, well, who she married to? I don't know. <laughs> and it didn't matter, and it doesn't matter, and that's the whole point. That's the whole point. Yeah, I only did three years as a as a regular, but I I I understood because of my my mum's perspective as well. So I, I I think that helped. But yeah, I did find it very scary. <laughs> and you touched on um, flower arranging a little bit there. I have this thought that. Um, Support is provided to military spouses because the people that are making the decisions have decided that's probably what we want. And yet I'm pretty sure that nobody's ever asked me what I would like because I quite fancy having a coding course or a mindset course or, you know, something really juicy that I can get stuck into that and I can apply to my real life rather than a coffee morning, for example. What sort of support do you think would help you or that is needed particularly for spouses in business or spouses that want to grow something? I think what Sarah Stone has set up in Lucas, the co-working hub, is awesome. And the fact that she is supporting people across the UK now to get their own um, business hubs. And actually, I um, I know Tobias Elwood. I was at um, the same OTC as him many moons ago. So when he came to dinner night, I sort of, pinpoint you know sort of got him and I said you know we want to have these business hubs 
these co-working business hubs just let us have access to buildings and um, so that we can set them up. And yes, I, and it's, it's interesting actually, because I'm here at Shrivenham at the moment. And um, last time I was here, I had four children under five. In fact, I had number four was born here. Um, and I was very much in the coffee morning, the um, Jubilee Centre, and everything to do with my children. My children were my currency. The school run dictated my life. And um, the school run, the nursery runs, all of that sort of thing dictated my life. And I squashed in whatever adult time I absolutely could. And I've come back now and my children are teenagers. Um, One's left school. um, The other three are away at boarding school. And and it's a completely different thing. And, And also in that sort of evolving space where your children are at school um all the time then you know even sort of that nine till three piece uh and even if you don't have children you know young people get married and they don't have children and what's for them you know the last thing they want to do i remember when i first got married and um I went along to a coffee morning. People were talking about the price of nappies and cauliflowers and things like that. And I was just like, really? Oh my goodness. I've just left the regular army. You know, I am, I want to do things in my life. And you're talking about cauliflowers and nappies. It's just like, no, I don't think so. And then I found myself in that space, but we don't cater for everybody because yes. Okay. So there was a phase where I was talking about probably cauliflowers and nappies and, price of breakfast or whatever else but that doesn't mean to say that I had lost my capability and my ability to function as a professional and um and what I realized with not just a wife was that everybody was a professional I was trying I was almost like trying to catch someone out to say no 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 I've never done anything or or whatever everybody has done that. There was something like three physiotherapists, a GP, forensic scientist, criminologist, designers. It was phenomenal. And just because they choose to have a family doesn't mean that their brain, well, it does feel sometimes that your brain addles, but it doesn't mean to say that they want to stop. And we should be providing those courses. And I think um, there's a fantastic book called... Um, on the strength um, by uh, Victoria Bamfield. And she talks about life as a military spouse in sort of early 1900s when she was a child in India, but she's done the re- the, the first part of the book is research into military spouse. And honestly, I was reading it. I was thinking, when was this written? And she's, she's talking about the 1850s. And I was thinking, this could be today. This, this could be the same group and the way that we are perceived could be exactly the same. It's back in the 1850s. It's just like, oh my goodness. But the only difference is that in 1854, when the spouses came back from the Crimea and keeping soldiers going on the Crimea, that they built houses for us, which were brand new and nobody else in the UK, you know, you wouldn't have been able to afford it on a soldier's wage. And they were two story buildings that were split in half, hence quarters. and. And I just think, oh my goodness, they were able to do that back in the 1850s. So come on, what are you going to do for us in the 21st century? Business, co-working business hubs are not hard. It's a desk and maybe a separate room for a a business 
um, conference room. Um, the one up in Lucas is awesome. Um, I've been to visit Sarah up there. And, um, and it's so easy to replicate, so easy. So I think that the, the lifestyle gives us opportunities. And I think that the, um, the MOD could enhance those opportunities mm. by signposting and just taking away some of the red tape yeah and just give us the tools because I love the independent spouse but if I'd have had just a little bit of support or a little bit of mentoring or just a tiny bit of something this could have flown and not taken an entire year to get to series three and I'm sure there's so many other people who feel exactly the same about their projects or their businesses um or just even getting back to work just give us the tools and also I think that people that work in the armed forces attract a certain type of partner and we are all very ambitious and varied. And just because our partners happen to have the same boss who's just the queen doesn't mean that we really should have anything in common. But I do think we've got this sort of ability to adapt and overcome eventually. It takes a lot of time to get to that point. Um, but we just want to achieve so many things. We can achieve so many things. Which um, brings me to the next question. Are there any spouses in particular that have helped you along the way or empowered you or inspired you with um, not just a wife? Sarah Stone has been amazing at actually having the belief in the project to get it into places. So she was able to get it into, she used all her contacts for me to get it into the Scottish Parliament, which was just amazing. If you'd said to me in um, September 17, when I was packing up a house in Germany after 16 years, that I was going to enjoy living in England, <laughs> I'd have already said, I don't think so. I'd, I was absolutely dreading it. Um, but Sarah used her contacts to get it to Rusi. And from there, it went to the National Army Museum. And, and then to get it into the Scottish Parliament was just unbelievable. And for people to actually take an honest interest. And what surprised me there as well was um, the politicians were reading the statements. And, um, and they were saying, actually, this could apply to our spouses as well. Ruth Davidson said, I'm sure my partner would say exactly the same. In London, diplomats' wives were coming in into Rusi and saying, that's exactly how I feel. And that's why it's called Not Just a Wife. And it's not got army in it or anything. Um, because it, it, it can apply to everybody. But everybody has been so supportive. You know, I move into this house where I am in Shrivenham and Victoria next door is absolutely as supportive. And, you know, I can... In fact, we've cut a hole in the hedge <laughs> so that in the summer we can stand and have a cup of tea and pretend we're outside doing the gardening, but actually we're talking through the hedge. <laughs> well, anybody who's taken part and, and the people who've come to see it. And I think one of my frustrations to begin with, or halfway through, was that it was only the people who knew about military life who were coming to see it. And um, part of what I am desperate to do is take it to employers to show them who these people are and to show who this community is and um and i can't do that without without support of other spouses um at all and um and everybody all of the people that i've met um has always been really supportive and even if someone is 
you know, has been completely independent, never moved around, um, has lived in their own house the whole time and the spouse, you know, their serving partner has been the person moving. They seem to get it and understand um, where it's coming from, where the exhibition is, is coming from. But no, I can't thank everybody um, enough because everybody plays their part in encouraging me to keep going. And, um, and that's just so important. And that's the community piece. You're people I've never met before who would just come up and say, what can I do? Um, how can I help you? Do you want me to drive you somewhere? Do you want me to take this somewhere? Or anything. I'll come and help you set up. It's just fantastic. And that when I was at Portsmouth Navy Days for Armed Forces Day last year, that's when I met um, some of the Navy wives and I did a, a um, recruit for spouses, had uh, put on a one of the Google Garage events down in Portsmouth. So I went along to it and I was sort of like, I'm army <laughs> and everyone else is Navy. Um, but they say, when are you coming to do the Navy? Do the Navy. And then I, RAF, come and do the RAF spouses. Um, because we're all saying the same thing. It's not, I chose the army because that was the people who uh, um, were immediately around me. Um, but I would love to do that. I would love to do the Navy. I would love to do the RF. I'd love to do one on husbands because there are two men in the exhibition um, and all hats off to them because um, one of them, Dominic, poor chap, um, his husband was serving with my husband and um, they'd only come over to go to one of the festivals in Paderborn and uh, Steph, who I interviewed, said, oh, Dominic's over here. Why didn't you ask him if he'll take part? Because I'm sure he would. And so with both Dominic and Al, I said, look, it's called Not Just a Wife for a reason. Um, and they said, absolutely, that's how we're treated. Um, and, um, and that was fascinating absolutely fascinating so yeah everyone assumes that because it's called not just a wife it's only women in it but it's not there are two men but I'd love to do one on husbands yes husbands and the navy and obviously the RAF because you know that's quite exciting to me so you have plans um and what what are they where are you going to take not just a wife um over the next five years and beyond I just would love employers. I would love the chance to talk to employers. I think in the early days of the exhibition, and if you are Sarah, she would, she would, <laughs> she would be absolutely behind this. I was terrified, absolutely terrified, because I've interviewed soldiers all my life, all my working life. I've interviewed soldiers, and they've always said. Uh, oh, I'm just a plant operator, or, or I'm just an infantry soldier, or I'm just a driver. I said, no, you're never juster. Nobody is ever juster. And so I've always made sure that other people realise the value of their jobs when I interview them. And although, yes, it was in Rusi, I was so taken aback and so gobsmacked that it had gone to such a prestigious place that people were interested in what... I or what we had to say, what we were saying, but I was sort of facilitating. I, I think I was very, I didn't have the confidence in myself that I could do this, but put me in a military uniform and tell me to go and speak to a whole load of generals or warrant officers or whatever else. I can do that. But when it's sort of 
something that I have invested quite a lot of emotional energy as well as funding, obviously. I, I was I still am hesitant about doing it, but I then think that actually it's not about me. This is about a wider community. This is a way of engaging in that small talk about the community, about getting to employers, about getting to um, decision makers within the MOD and saying, these are the people you are making decisions on behalf of. You know, you can do a survey. I don't know how many surveys I took part in last year um, to do with various bits and pieces. Apparently the survey is the answer. No, it isn't. Get, and the coffee morning isn't the answer either. Get people together in a forum, a military spouse appreciation day, but don't just do it as a cakes and buns, jolly well done. Get people together, have a conference. And, and I don't mean, I know the AFF and the RAFF, so the Families Federations and the NFF have their own conferences and they have specific issues that they talk about. And those are great brilliant opportunities because I've been to lots of them in the past where I have stood up and asked that question um, and got answers from the top straight away which is brilliant but this is different and and it can't be given over to a military organization to to arrange leave it with us support us to do it don't take it over we're perfectly capable of doing these things ourselves and just support us, say, yes, we support you in doing this and we can support you by paying for the Queen Elizabeth Conference Centre or something like that, um, off you go. And let us do it because, oh my goodness, if I put a call to action out, I would have event managers, I would have PR specialists. Everybody would come together with their own skills. And even if it was shifting chairs, you would have top consultant surgeons shifting chairs because that's what we do and that's what can happen when a community gets together. Yeah, never underestimate the power of a group of military spouses. If we can send our partners to war, then sorting out a conference um, will be easy in comparison. Sadly, we are heading towards the end, which is such a shame because we've spoken for ages and it's been brilliant. Um, and I want to pick your brains so much more. Anyway, so the end of the podcast episode is always the quick fire questions. And it's a, a, a way for me to find out a little bit more about you um, and to compare the answers with other people. So are you ready? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Let's see how ready. It'll be painless. I'm sure it will. Um, so the first one is, who would you most like to see on the Independent Spouse podcast series? Petra Swift. She is awesome. She is an amazing person. She was my neighbour in Germany. And this was a perfect, perfect example. We were just moving over to Paderborn. She saw that we were peering through the windows and we were nosing around the house. And she came out and said, oh, oh, are you moving in next door? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, oh, well, you'll need to get your phones sorted out now because if you're moving in in two weeks, it'll take that long to do. Her mother is German, so she's German speaker. She said, right, come in, come in, come in. Right, you want consecutive numbers on your mobile so that you know um, you can, it's easy to remember. You only have to remember one digit difference. Right, let me sort it out. Here, have a cup of tea. And she sorted it all out. It's just like, oh my goodness. And then, but she hasn't changed. So then when her husband, uh, probably, this is probably telling tales at school, was um, commander 20 brigade, so brigadier 20 brigade in the big house. I went to see her and she said, oh my goodness, look at the staircase. You can mattress surf down here. <laughs> 
So, you know, she is just awesome and she's always doing things behind the scenes in front and it's not something that came to her easy, but she does it and she has incredible strength, incredible strength. Oh, she sounds ace. I love people like that. They're, you know, not defined by rank and um, they sound like fun. And that's the whole point because military life can be so sad sometimes. Yes. You've got to have some fun. <laughs> Um, yeah, I will hunt her out. Thank you very much. Um, the next one is, uh, so the independence spouse is all about inspiration and the positives of military life. How do you stay inspired? By talking to other military spouses uh, and, and digging into who they are. So I went to, the, there's an icebreaker dinner here at Shrivenham because the courses come through every eight months or whatever. And I sat next to this lady and I said, um, oh, so, so what do you do? And she said, oh, my husband is. I said, no, stop. I asked, what do you do? Who are you? What, what do you do? And uh, she was an aid worker in southern Sudan and had done these incredible inspirational projects, helping people and making a difference to people's lives. And I just saw her demeanor change as she started to talk about the things that she used to do. and. Um, and it's not that she won't go back to it or can't go back to it. But what I love is talking to people and listening to their stories and, and how they have developed. And that gives me the inspiration to keep going. I just think, crikey, if they can do that or overcome that and, and keep moving on and are not put off by their own challenges, then what have I got to whinge about? Yeah. And stepping up is so important and sharing voices and listening to people is so very important. Um, the next one is what, what do you wish you'd known before you started, not just a wife? How to get money, how to get funding. <laughs> um, and also I wish I had had the confidence in myself and in the in the um in the project belief in myself and in the project and i know people will think that's really hard to believe but actually um i have to take deep breaths to put this exhibition up every time and and i i still am flabbergasted when people ask for it but i i need to make that switch to believe in it and the way that i do that is that i say this isn't about me this is about telling other people's story and about a community, the story of a community. And, um, and I wish that I had the, that confidence that I see in a lot of other people. But then, you know, the overnight success is not that. And, and that's what I've come to realise is that actually the taking a deep breath, putting the exhibition into bags, getting on a train, packing it in the car, and and standing in front of it is all building up to something i just don't know what it is but i have to just keep doing it because i know that's one thing is going to happen and i think for anybody else who's out there who just thinks that their business their project the steps that they're making towards doing something for themselves isn't working it is it is, it's just that you don't know it yet. And that um, those days where you feel that there isn't that confidence, you don't have that confidence that it isn't working, that 
things haven't gone as you thought they were going to go, there is no such thing as overnight success. No, never. Unless you do something really illegal and notorious. In which case, yes, there is. But I don't know if I'd class that as success, but um, don't know. Um, but it's just keep going. Just keep going. And every little step forward is that little bit more of self-confidence and self-belief. And also making the changes. You know, what didn't work quite so well? How could I do that differently? Right, well, next time I'm going to do this um, or be prepared for that. Um, and each little step, which is where things didn't go quite as planned, is building up that platform for when it really is necessary because you've got that resilience built in. Oh, it's so true um, because it is sometimes it's such a slog and sometimes you can't see the little wins um, because you were just too much in it. But when you step back and look in, all those little steps add up to something and it's so important. And Wendy, you are so right about taking that big breath and then doing something this podcast series is, is very similar like that. When you get to the point where you're like, oh, why am I doing this? Why is this me? Shouldn't, shouldn't there be an adult around doing this for us? Um, but sometimes you've just got to step up and, you know, take that step and take the big breath. Um, Wendy, fair play for being that person. What you're doing with Not Just a Wife is so important and so interesting. And it's really making waves. So thank you from one of the Not Just Wives for doing that and for, you know, spending your time and energy and money and all those things on it if I am interested in finding your exhibition or finding out more about you what are your social media handles the the best one is um not just a wife on Facebook because that's where the next exhibition um and the developments take place but also LinkedIn it's Wendy Forks on LinkedIn and on Twitter it's Wendy Forks and that's when all the different projects seem to fly in and um, comment on that. And um, when I actually stop being lazy and, and build up the confidence to do it properly, um, there is a website which has some information on it, um, which is wendyforks.com. But I need to get that little bit of confidence to do the blogs and update it. Oh, you can do it, honestly. If I can do it, anybody can do it. Um, and you've done so much. So just keep taking those little steps. Oh, Wendy, it's been so good to talk to you. Annoyingly, this is the end. Because it is a podcast episode, we have to end at some point, which is very disappointing because I know that we could talk for hours. Well, I, I just want to say thank you for doing The Independent Spouse because you have the power of audio is incredible and, and it's a lost art. And um, the podcast is something you can have, anybody can listen to in the car and you can actually think about what people are saying. And so to take it on, to take, to go from a graphic designer into a podcast, into the world of audio is just awesome. So thank you for giving us a voice. So I may do the pictorial, but you're giving us a voice. So thank you. Oh, thanks, Wendy. Yeah, it's tough, but it's, it's so worth it. So, oh, thank you. That does mean a lot. Thank you so much to Wendy for such an interesting interview. I am really excited to see what you can achieve next and I know that we will all be supporting you. I will of course be back next week with another interview. This time I am speaking to the lovely Jackie from Social Media Spouses, so I will see you then.